The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to our national conversation about conversations about race, the weekly podcast where we discuss the ways we can't talk, don't talk, would rather not talk, but intermittently, fitfully, and embarrassingly do talk about culture, identity, politics, power, and privilege in our pre-post-yet-still-very-racial America. You could say all that, or you could just call this show about race. I'm Anna Holmes, and joining me from the Panoply Studios in New York are Raquel Cepeda, my Gemini twin. Yeah, Gemini twin. (laughs) Also with us today is Lee Hill, the managing editor for digital content at WNYC. Welcome. Hey, that Aries dude. That Aries oh, dude. That Aries dude. I have to ask him a. Qu- I have to ask Lee a question. Go ahead. Did you go to school for that? Like to for sound what? like that? To be Aries? No, to be like to talk like well, you like know, you have like an old school radio like like voice. Yeah. My voice didn't change until I was like twenty. Really? I saw I was a soprano for the longest time, and then one what? day, what? I, mean, I mean, my voice was high for a long time, and then you know later on it changed. So I oh. own it. Where you should. Where are you from originally? Milwaukee. That's why. You see, you're not from New York or one of those cities that have like, you know what I mean? One of those towns. Yeah. Cities that have like. Deeper voices in the middle. No, not deeper, but like an accent. Like an accent. Like my voice has a lot of testosterone. Yeah. Yeah. But it's an accent. Like it would be difficult for me. When I used to live in Pittsburgh for a little while and I remember working at a radio, urban radio station and they made me go like A, B, C because they wanted me to lose my my accent to have Mm. a show. And I just said, fuck it. I don't want to do that. I'd rather have my accent. It's dying anyway. But if you're from Milwaukee, what's the accent there? Midwestern. Yeah, so that so that lends itself more to what you the way you speak now. Do you drink? Fascinating. Do you, do you drink soda or pop? Soda. Soda. Oh, I thought it was a pop place. Yeah, I thought Detroit it was a pop. Detroit is pop. Oh, okay. Oh. So is Ohio. Yeah, Detroit pop, is pop. Yeah, We're I've soda. heard pop there, and I was like, "What's pop?" <laughs> We're carbonated beverage. <laughs> well, that's ridiculous. Whoever says that. Bougie. <laughs> Bougie. <laughs> okay, speaking of carbonated beverages, today we're going to touch on the vice presidential debate, and then we're going to drill down on one thing that the GOP candidate Mike Pence and Democratic candidate Tim Kaine seem to agree on, community policing. But first, I want to get your impressions of this past week's debate. Was it good, bad, ugly, about what you expected? Lee, what do you think? I thought Kane came out swinging a little bit. You know, he was a little bit like a bulldog. I think that they had this polite agree to disagree thing. You know, they kept talking about making reference to, oh, I humbly disagree or I humbly or, or respectfully. Rather, right. I respectfully, mm-hmm. you know, or I humbly accepted her her call to be her vice presidential candidate, uh, things like that. There was one part where uh, what I call like scriptural showdown where they start talking about their faith mm-hmm. in God. And it was like Bible Olympics a little bit like <laughs> my Bible says that, you know, my Bible's better. Your Bible. life, you uh. know, and my Bible is, you know, um, I mean, the tone was a lot. Different, although there was just as much maybe interrupting. I thought Kane was interrupting as much as Donald Trump was interrupting. More, more. Really? Yeah. 77 mm. times. Raquel. I was expecting Pence to be the way he was because he is a talk show host. And he actually. He's a Ken doll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. You mean he doesn't have a penis? I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> His imagination. Mean- <laughs> he has no soul. Okay. I, I'm, I'm convinced he has no organs. Okay. He's just like a block of ice. External but or any, internal. Yeah. I don't know. People gave him too much credit for being soothing and being very... At the end, I didn't think he won. And 
everybody said he won. Everybody was saying, and, and what I mean by everybody was not everybody in the, on the planet. What I mean is like MSNBC was gave it to him. Hmm. Of course, Fox gave it to him. CNN, and I was just so shocked because I thought Tim Kaine. First of all, he was coached to come out and attack. I think he's actually probably I, like I, a nice I hope, guy. I hope he was. Because, yeah, because uh, he's because, not. Well, I, I think that was kind of a mistake for him to be that. I think so too, but I think yeah. he's not used to that. You know, you're not okay. used to it. You get nervous and it's like going on a date and like fumbling on yourself. Like mm-hmm. the person may really like the real you, but you're just like trying to you're be like so cool them. that you're neck right. <laughs> just kidding. Exactly. No, I was just kidding though. <laughs> <laughs> but but like Pence is like he described himself as a, a Rush Limbaugh on decaf, and yeah. if you really listen to him and that <clears throat> smooth jazzy talk. He's a really fucking racist, dangerous, soulless. Yeah, but, yeah, but the thing is, I, I I think what he may what he may have in terms of a slickness or being camera or TV ready, I think ultimately what he lacks is, as you put it, a soul. Like I think there's no there there. There really there really is no there there. And on the one hand, I think that can be dangerous because you collectively may not be listening to what he's saying with the sort of specificity that you need to so that you understand really what it is that he's all about, which is a lot of ugly stuff. He comes across as as, as, as not dangerous, which makes perhaps makes him more dangerous. But he's also hard he's also hard to grasp onto. And so again, those things may negate each other, his his lack of of any apparent personality or soul may be what am I even trying to say? I'm just saying like I'm not, I'm not sure that he that, he, that, that there's like a, a plus or a minus with him. He he might he might he's flat. He's flat. Well, yeah, right. Let's keep in mind though that before Tim Can was chosen as a VP candidate, there were tons of people who said that he was the soulless guy. You know, compared to the, the other who people was? On the, that Tim Kaine, okay. compared to the other uh, like the Elizabeth Warren, right. oh, she uh, Cory Booker, and all these other people who were mentioned on the short list. I mean, so, you know, Tim Kaine is not necessarily bubbling over with personality either. I think what we saw in that debate is him, you know, his constant interruption, you know, and interrupting at times, maybe trying to 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 state a fact where he saw that you know Pence might have have not might have been more committed to deflecting than to defending Donald Trump. But yeah, I don't know if it's fair to say that Pence was this soulless guy and Kane is this dude who's you know. Well, I don't see that binary either. It's not like one is all the right. way good, all the way bad. I don't think that's what Anna was saying no. either. But I think that Pence's lack of soul was striking, and I think that he was rated on a curve. They just wanted him to prove. They wanted to use him to prove that the Republican Party still exists. Right. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't mouth off in the ways that Trump did. So therefore, right. he won. Right. Right. Exactly. So that's why. That's that's exactly what I think he was like. I don't think it's fair to judge somebody based on that. Based on what you know, your boss being like a fucking maniac, the yeah. way that Trump is. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that like perhaps it's also just the way that Kane, the way that Kane interrupted. I'm not particularly fond of the guy, but if I were to had to be in a public presentation or stage with someone and I had to defend, you know, my boss, who's someone who's essentially my boss and go after the other person's boss. And and this other person, my debate partner is out and out lying repeatedly. I might find it hard not to interrupt as well. Could be that he just has a style that's unsophisticated or irritating um, to witness. I mean, there were sometimes, you know, I mean, this is my fantasy where I, I wish he would have where I wanted him to interrupt and say you've got to be kidding me that's a total lie like I wanted him to call it like it is so again I I, I think he interrupted too much I think some of the irritation that people had at least that I had with the interrupting was the way he interrupted maybe his style of interruption it just felt a little anemic 
least it to me. It feels like he was being forced to be a bully, and he's okay. really not the bully. He's really the guy who, you know, who's like the nice guy in the school who was forced to be a bully. And Hillary Clinton basically baited Trump in a smoother way. Right. Where he was like eager beaver. He was just eager to right. show. And I think he was nervous. And anyway, he doesn't right. have the history working in government the way that Pence does. He's more, he's, you know, a more seasoned politician. Well, in, in the end, it probably well, doesn't matter because no one votes for based on vice presidential well, candidates. Well, maybe this anyway. time. Like, Although, I mean, maybe one could argue that people voted on the vice presidential candidates in 2008 because they were so horrified by Sarah Palin as well. Remember her? Oh, uh, yes. Anyway, speaking of interruptions or counting of interruptions, we counted and Mike Pence used the term criminal aliens seven times in the debate. Raquel. First of all, what do you think about that? Do you think that's a sign that the GOP has pretty much given up on the immigrant vote, let alone the Latino vote? This oh, time they're around? not going to get it. They're not stupid. They're not going to get it. I mean, they can't even. They're not even getting their own votes. I mean, if you leave it, think about like uh, the Arizona Republic endorsing Hillary Clinton mm. for the is that is that the Arizona mm-hmm. Republic? Okay, yeah. mm-hmm. so after for the first time in 172 years, and they're you know they only right. Then you think about the Atlantic, who only is endorsed. Three times. She's a third. I think this, the first was uh, Abraham Lincoln mm-hmm. and then Barack Obama Mm-mm. and then her. No? It wasn't Obama. It was LBJ. I stand corrected. Yes. So then you have like, you know, like the, even their own party is given up on them. And anyway, they, I think they're finding, I think they were pandering, honestly, to the only Latinos that would vote for them, which I think are the Cubans in Miami. Mm-hmm. And I think that after that whole Cuba gate thing came out with Donald Trump. I think they know they lost it, so they're like, fuck it, let's just talk to our base. Can you explain the Cuba Gate thing for people who uh, well, don't? Donald Trump spent, like, on a fact-finding, if you will, and I'm saying that in quotes, mission. He sent people to Cuba to, you know, see if there's any business opportunities there, and they spent, like, something like 68000 mm. give or take, U.S. dollars. You're not supposed to spend any money there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, for Cubans in Miami mm-hmm. and the lobbyists in Miami that have Cuban descent, that is a big no, the fuck no. That is a no, 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 no. People that were going to vote for him of that in that world, mm-hmm. he lost them. And they're really powerful group of set of folks. Was this the first time you'd heard a, a Republican or Democratic politician use the phrase criminal aliens? I don't know that I've heard that before. I've heard illegal aliens. I've heard that there have been, you know, descriptions of of undocumented no. immigrants as being as committing crimes, but criminal aliens. I mean, the, the joke that I made that night on Twitter was like I put up a picture of like from the movie Alien of Yeah. <laughs> it's like where's the spaceship? You know? <laughs> well but like it just seems it's it seems like the rhetoric Yeah, they wanna they want to really drive in the notion that if you have an accent or if you're Latino, I guess, or perceived Latino, because really let's think about this. How can you tell the difference between, let's say, a Syrian refugee here and a and a Dominican? Because phenotypically it's gonna be a hard thing for 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 these deportation deportation mafias to do if, if Trump gets mm-hmm. in office, like decide who's what mm-hmm. you could be. You could be Syrian. You could be Latino. You could be Syrian. You could be Latino. That's what so I love like, about me is that I look like everything. Yes. I love that too. <laughs> Again, I, I don't read everything, but I didn't see a lot about the ratcheting up of that rhetoric in, in terms of the use of that phrase, criminal aliens. And maybe that's because there was so much else that went on during that debate. So. Right. Um, and yeah, we, I mean, we, it really otherizes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really otherizes like the immigrant experience. I mean, it makes it, you know, it makes it, I think that, you know, maybe the point is to to make the immigrants seem foreign, to seem really like, what is that strange? I mean, criminal alien um, for him to use it so much and for it not to really be challenged, mm-hmm. you know, even by the moderator to say, you know, what does that yeah. mean? Yeah, you know what didn't. I think it is? I think is that we just see everything, whether it's media, whether it's society, 
just us as human beings or as as North Americans, things are so fucking binary that if it's not dis- if it's not discussed in a black and or white American framework, you just can't. It's too much for your brain. So what you're saying is that we're done. Not your brain, Lee, or your brain, Anna. But you know what I mean? Our collective, our mind, our collective. Sometimes my brain, too. Sometimes I see things in a very binary way. I mean, I think we all have to fight the urge to simplify things in our minds by making them black or white, good or bad. Um, I mean, it's hard to do that when even organizations that you respect, like, let's say, Pew, it's either all about, quote unquote, Hispanics or Latinos, or it's black Americans believe this about the police and white Americans believe this about the police. Well, how about everybody else? Yeah. Well, how about wait. indigenous Americans? Hold on. Cause we're going to get to that actually a little, a little bit. Cause okay. I know what you're referring to. Um, I want to go back to the debate and other moments, stunning, depressing, et cetera. One of the most shocking for me moments in the debate was the weird way that uh, Pence talked about implicit bias mm-hmm. saying they meaning police, also hear the bad-mouthing, the bad-mouthing that comes from people that seize upon a tragedy in the wake of police action shootings as as a reason to to use a broad brush to accuse law enforcement of implicit bias or institutional racism, and that has really got to stop. That's a quote, by the way. It seems a bit strange, at least to me, that he doesn't understand implicit bias as a thing that's not, like, willful or, or conscious, but rather built-in learned behavior and... and can you talk a little it bit? It kind of about- is, no? Built-in rates, the way that we see people, That's we what learn I'm saying. it somewhere. But, 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 he's, but he's kind of implying that it's something that is more controllable or, or conscious. Well, I mean, what was also interesting to me is that he seemed to suggest that because Brentley Benson, a black police officer mm-hmm. in Charlotte who, who killed Keith Scott, right. because they were both African-American, that bias was out of the question. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He said, like, how could Hillary even suggest that? Right. Um, when we That's know, so like, fucking dumb. You know, we have dumb thing to say. The instance of, you know, the, the New Orleans Police Department is one of the most diverse police forces mm-hmm. in the country, mm-hmm. uh, but even they have been found to have, have had a pattern of discrimination mm-hmm. against African Americans. I mean, so just to suggest that because you are black that you can't have these biases. I've heard that before, especially with uh, the Freddie Gray case. I've heard people just, you know, like, not media, just regular folks in the hood talking about, well, it's, you know, they're black cops killing. I feel like just because that's one of my, the things I want, we're going to get to later, like mm-hmm. what would our ideal communities look like? Mm-hmm. For me, it's not enough that you hire different people of color. To me, I feel like you need to be vetted. And do you have, what do you stand for? Do you have self-determination? Do you believe in having self-determination for your community? What are your politics? What, I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care if you're a conservative. I don't care about any of that stuff. But what do you think? How do you see people? Where do, have you? Did you grow up around black and Latino people? Or did you grow up in Staten Island or in Long Island, if you will, just in a very hom- homogenous community? All these things kind of, and then have you ever heard of self-loathing? Well, there are people that are Latino and and well, we, yeah, we talked about one of them on an episode a couple of weeks ago about Marco Gutierrez and and his. And but he's household. not a cop, yeah. No, 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 no. But I'm talking about self-loathing or like. Yeah. What's interesting to me is that there seems to be a conflating of the word racism with bias. I understand why people chafe, as do I, when white people accuse black people of being quote racist if they say something that's <laughs> anti-white because it doesn't really quite work like that you could accuse them of being bigoted but the specifics of the word racist don't apply there what pence seems to be conflating here is racism and bias racism is something that's more specific to a particular group the one that usually was you know has been structurally been in, been in power and historically in power whereas bias is something that we can 
that we can all share if we're also African-American or also Asian-American or what have you, in the same way that there are a lot of women who can be incredibly sexist and I'd even argue misogynist. They may not think of themselves that way, but like this is the stuff that's baked into our society. This is is what we learn from a very young age, whether we admit it or not. And so I think that's my frustration. And I and I really do wish that if we're going to have conversations about bias, public conversations in presidential debates or vice presidential debates or in newspaper columns, that people really articulate and define what bias means and to separate it out from what racism means or racist means, because they're two different things. I think for most people, it isn't. For most people, it isn't. And Pence is just ba- basically holding a mirror up to society. And a lot of people think that way. We don't talk about nuances. We don't spend enough time on nuance. But words matter. I mean, words matter. Words matter so much. I mean, words do matter. And I think there's also a fundamental difference in how this issue is really being approached by both, you know, both campaigns. I mean, with Hillary Clinton, you're hearing a lot more about implicit bias training use of force with Donald Trump. You're hearing a lot more about law and order. You know, what are police having to triage and not really as much talk about implicit bias mm-hmm. and talking about police community relations. Maybe this is something we're going to talk about. Yeah, more in a bit, but uh, maybe it is. <laughs> maybe it isn't. <laughs> no, maybe we tricked you. Lee. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe we're going to start right now. In fact, <laughs> well, I want to talk about the issue of community policing because that yeah. came up during the debate. And it was it was one aspect of the debate where the two candidates actually seemed to agree. Here's Tim Kaine. The way you make communities safer and the way you make police safer is through community policing. You build the bonds between the community and the police force, build bonds of of understanding. And then when people feel comfortable in their communities, that gap between the police and the communities they serve narrows. And when that gap narrows, it's safe for the communities and it's safer for the police. That model still works across our country, but there are some other uh, models that don't work. An overly aggressive, more militarized model. Okay, and then we have Mike Pence. At at the risk of agreeing with you, community policing is a great idea. Mm -hmm. It's worked in the Hoosier State, uh, and and we fully support that. Donald Trump and I are going to make sure that law enforcement have the resources uh, and the tools uh, to be able to really restore law and order to the cities and communities of this nation. It's probably probably why the 330,000 members of the Fraternal Order Police endorsed Donald Trump as the next president of the United States of America because they see his commitment to them. They see his commitment to law and order. Okay, so here's the thing. Despite using the phrase community policing as an umbrella term, Kane and Pence mean totally different things, right? I think what they mean by community, the, the most literal example I could think about that are CCRB boards, community uh, civilian complaint review review boards, mm-hmm. right? As, is that what they were? I mean, I like to know from people, if, if we have listeners in Indiana, is it working? Because he says it's working in the Hoosier state, right? So I like to know from folks that are listening um, who know Pence better than we do, is community policing working and what does that look like over there? But what I think it's is what they're talking about is CCRBs. But a lot of places, they're very um, disproportionate. Like you'll have like board members. Let's say you have 10 board members. Six of them will be like spouses of policemen. Mm-hmm. Two will be elderly, like elder statesmen from the neighborhoods that are kind of out of touch. It has to reflect society. And you have to actually let people know that they exist. An example it being in 1997, in January in 1997, when I went into labor with my daughter, I was living in the South Bronx for a minute, for a while, and we were harassed by the police on the way. We were stopped and we were searched for, I don't know what reason, just randomly in a cab. My daughter's father 
you know, harassed by the cops. They were treating him like shit. They put their baton in my in my overnight bag and they went like this mm-hmm. with my daughter's stuff. And it was like, you know, they would try to touch me. It was just a, one of the worst experiences of my life. I got to the hospital and my daughter's, I had to have an emergency C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a short version of that. Now, I didn't know as a, you know, younger person that there was even a com- civilian complaint review board. I didn't know that existed. There's not enough engagement with the communities. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Milwaukee. I grew up in District 7. District 7 for the Milwaukee Police Department is the same district where Savelle Smith was shot and killed. It's the Sherman Park area. You know, that led to days of rioting. And fundamentally, like, community policing requires trust. And what I know about a lot of people in, you know, in Milwaukee or where I grew up, you know, they don't trust the police. There are people who don't trust the police. It's not unlike in some other, you know, unlike the situation in some other cities. But how do you community police, which involves a relationship and partnering with community leaders, how do you do that when there has been this breach of trust that some would say is beyond repair. I want to okay. What I want to what I want to ask you is, what's your definition of what community policing is, and do you think that that's that's the definition that was being used by um, Mr. Kane and Mr. Pence? And and do you have do you have community civil, civilian complaint review boards? Well, that that I would I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I've been away from Milwaukee for a while, but I can speak to my time as a child there. I can speak to you know from my relatives who are still there who who tell me about you know all the things that are going on. I see community policing as the police saying we cannot do our jobs without the community, without you. We need you to be our eyes and ears. So when you say that, you know, I also immediately think about no snitch rules where people are like, I'm not trying to talk to the police. I mean, back in the day, I. Remember Remember with the D.A.R.E. drug program where police were supposed to be your friends, you know, that day seems to have passed in terms of how people perceive police. But I see community policing as community leaders. So the whole concept of it takes a village, community leaders working with law enforcement to make communities safer, to have constant uh, avenues of communication that are open and again, to have trust there. When I hear Pence talking, I believe that they might believe in an aspect of that. But again, it seems like, you know, he he talked a lot more about, you know, making sure that there's law and order. And to me, that seems like making sure there's punishment, making sure that people are being maybe arrested, while Cain seems to be, uh, you know, the Clinton campaign also seems to be, you know, talking about making sure that there's, there's training. Use of force is used, you know, more judiciously. Yeah, it's almost like, it's well, almost like Pence thinks that the assumption that that I pick up on is that he thinks that law and order is something that comes before (laughs) an engagement with the community. Whereas the idea of community policing is that law and order follows a trust between law enforcement officers and a community, whereas Penn seems to maybe have it turned around a little bit. So you know what else? Recently, I went to a um, community board meeting for youth and education, and they were talking about just this this very thing. And it was about basically an organization, you know, one of those publicity stunts that police departments pull where they, you know, go and they do initiatives with children and everybody's like kind of forced to like walk together down a couple of blocks and show like a, a very public unity, like a public show of unity. Mm-hmm. And I was like there to, to just listen to the post, like what happened to so It's basically the postmortem meeting. 
And, you know, a lot of the younger people that were on that board felt like, you know, they were scared for those kids because a lot of them were afraid of the police. The police didn't really, weren't really reaching out. It was more of like, uh, you know, kind of like that imposing kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, that that you, that feeling that you get of being very uncomfortable. There's a distrust. They were intimidating. Yeah. And yeah. they weren't, they did not have which one of the younger members of the board brought up, which is youth-led initiatives and a youth-led discussion where they actually get a chance to speak for themselves and not like the people that are on the community board that are older. So then you have this one older lady from my grandmother's generation and also from my country, Dominican, and she's Dominican. And I'm saying this for a reason, and I'll explain it. So she comes, and she comes from a police family, and she moved here to the States whenever she did. And she is actually the liaison between the community and the youth and the, the community and the police. Her whole thing was, and she said this, and I'm almost quoting her, if kids around here... And I live in a Dominican, mostly Dominican community, would just pull their pants up. Things would be different. Mm. And I was like, well, if ki- if the cops would just not p- take their guns out every fucking minute, maybe things would be different. Maybe they humanize them and they actually see them as humans. If we hired more police that live either are from urban areas mm-hmm. or from, you know, that look like the communities they represent that they live in. You can't expect that somebody from, you know, again, I just want to example long island yeah. come in here and see people who've already been been suffocated by media images of young you know black and latino men and women negative images coming and all of a sudden policing them right they're gonna think everybody's armed they're gonna think everybody's bad right so you have somebody in your own community so i told her at the end i said this meeting has left me very sad because you're a woman of color she escaped the trujillo very repressive regime to come here and kind of replicate that oppression right on the younger people that she doesn't understand right so for me it's not about Hiring a Dominican or having this. It's well, about the right people. This brings me to the next thing. A Pew Research report from last week reported how different groups see law enforcement, reporting that only a third of black Americans see the police as doing a great job while three quarters of whites do. And in an interview with PBS's Charlene Hunter Galt on September 29th, Newark Mayor Ross Baraka said that, quote, to advocate for police in a community, end quote, is not a contradiction, that community policing is in part Quote, police officers who care about the community that they live in, who think that they're part of the community and not an occupying force in the community, end quote. So my question is, how much of the idea of community policing is the idea that the police who are tasked with protecting and serving the community represent that community and live within it? Does representation in a police force that mirrors that of the surrounding community lead to a connection? And it sounds like you're saying, but it also sounds like you're saying not necessarily that there has to be well, right? has to be the right. I have to say, yeah. yeah, not necessarily. I agree with you, Lee. It matters. Like, who are you policing? I think mm-hmm. that you know, you just give to go into a training for to become well, you, a cop. What, you, what what kind of education do you need? I, well, I'm not sure. I'm sure it may vary from place to place. But and again, I'm going to say that you know, it's not so much it's not so much rooted in my opinion. But again, you know, but in fact, going back to that instance of New Orleans that I mentioned earlier, really one of the most diverse police forces in this country. And back in 2012 or 2014, they found that you know they had a history of discriminating against people and African Americans disproportionately were on the other end of that. So I'm just saying, to me, that's proof that you know, just because you have a police force that reflects the city that it serves in terms of hue and and aesthetics and and skin tone does not necessarily always mean that there's a cultural connection that leads to understanding and empathy and one that leads to better police community relations and both 
campaigns, both candidates may very well want to, I think we all want the violence to stop, but I think that they might have fundamental, fundamentally different approaches to, to, to what that looks like. Mm-hmm. I feel like we talk about the, all these big injustices that happen around the country, right? Around in, in our society without looking at like the, ver- the root of it at the bottom of the well it all has to do with the way you see yourself, has to do with identity. And we suffer from an identity crisis. And I don't feel like I'm being like kumbayaish or, or, or new agey by saying that if your spirit and your identity is not like strong, if you don't know where you came from, if you don't have self-determination, how can you be of service to other people? And if you are going to become a cop... Well, I think you, I can, I think you, I think you can start to build a self-identity by, be, by being in service to other people. I don't think that one has to follow the other. I think that they can be... Yeah, of course not. Of course, I mean, there you know, there's personalities that are attracted to certain kinds of jobs, mm-hmm. right? So if I'm a, if I'm somebody who wants to, who's who feels like I really want to make a change, I want to be of service. I'm going to, you know, I may want to go into law enforcement. That's totally fine. But then it's like when you get there, your priorities and how you see yourself. If you if you like a, like for example, Marco Gutierrez, who we're talking about with mm-hmm. the Latinos for Trump, mm-hmm. he'd probably be like. There'd be probably a, a shitload of complaints about him from Mexicans in the, in, the, in in his area mm-hmm. because he has you can see just by hearing him talk and by looking at him he has a problem he has a problem yeah. with it himself yeah so I feel like there should be more one of one you know we're not going to have a, a community where police don't exist we're not going to have a country where police don't exist it's just not the American way, if you will. I just can't see it. There even are people though, advocating for that. Though, I would. Lo- I'm one. Of, I've been advocating well, for that since we started the show. Alicia Garza, who was yeah. one of the founders of Black Lives Matter, told Complex yeah. recently that, quite frankly, she said, quite frankly, many of our Black Lives Matter members, or rather, many of our members, uh, are continuing to investigate what it would mean to have police-free communities. So what would that mean? First, you'd have to attack gun control because we own more guns than anybody else. So we're killing each other. Police are killing us. To me, is it's just too easy to get your hands on guns. Okay, so you'd, so you'd have to have gun control, but like... That... And then demilitarizing. I think it's steps. I think it's steps. Demilitarizing. Okay, but once you get to the step where you are, pol- are, are free of police, like what? Like, the, I don't see how that works. Yeah, and are we really there yet? Because to, to, to want a police-free society, that means you come to terms with or that you believe that there is no, there is no way, no way possible for police-community relations to be healthy. And so, I mean, and that means that we that means that we are saying that it is impossible, improbable and impossible to have a situation in which police and community can can coexist in a way that's healthy and where law enforcement can, you know, well, law enforcement. You have to dismantle the system that exists today. We're going to have law enforcement. I'm not so you know, I'm not naive to to think that we're never going to live in a police free state. Mm -hmm. I wish we I wish we would. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe that would look like maybe more like a like a souped up CCRB, you know, a civilian complaint so, review boards. You know, I'm thinking like you know the you know uh, band of elders, if you will. I mean, I don't know. I I, I mean, I don't wish to I live in a police free state. But, and the reason I say that is because I think that like they're they're human beings who, whether by dint of like their brain chemistry or what have you, who 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 can and do commit horrible crimes against right. other human beings and other living things. And, right. And, and that like, there, there, there's no way to like, there's no way around I was going that. there. Just, yeah. I okay. was going there because right. I was going to make the example of fa- the favelas in Brazil. Right. <laughs> if favela co- where police don't go in there when they go in there is just to oppress the fuck out of people. Okay. And commit crimes, but you develop your own kind of system. And I don't think that we would thrive on that system mm-hmm. of like, you know, like is always somebody in our society is going to, 
rise up to be kind of the alpha. There's mm-hmm. always going to be a group of people that are going to take it upon themselves to decide what's breaking the law, what's not breaking the law. I feel like, you know, we there needs to be some kind of representation, but the way that the police exist today, I don't know if that's the, I know it's not the right thing. I mean, and are we putting too much of an emphasis or assigning too much value to the role that police community relations in a more improved state would help race relations overall? I, I don't mean, think so. We, I mean, because I mean, both in Milwaukee, you know, the poverty rate for black people in Milwaukee is more than twice the national poverty poverty rate. And, you know, and in Charlotte alone, I mean, Charlotte, where Keith Scott was killed, the median income for white families is 80 percent higher than that of black families. With narrowing the the achievement gap, there are educators who say you can't lay it at the feet of teachers. I mean, it takes a much larger view of society. I wonder if the same can be said about, you know, if if we want things to be better with how we're all getting along, um, then we have to zoom out a bit. And maybe police community relations and maybe, you know, community policing is not necessarily um, the answer. Mm -hmm. But with that that said, I was uh, reading an article about the Phoenix Police Department Mm -hmm. and how they actually said that they wanted to work with and they wanted to be, they wanted to be held accountable uh, by Black Lives Matter. And um, <laughs> the, the the cops in Phoenix said that? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I, I really would love for somebody. I'm actually looking for the quote, but the Phoenix uh, Police Department's assistant chief, Mike Kurtenbach, said outright, and I'm quoting him, the Phoenix Police Department doesn't see Black Lives Matter as a terrorist organization. We view Black Thanks. Lives Matter. <laughs> we view Black Lives Matter as a partner who holds us accountable. We stand with you to find solutions. So and they, and this was at a community organization. I mean, at a community um, uh, uh, meeting that Black Lives Matter was actually hosting. So mm-hmm. I wonder if anybody's from you know if anybody listening is in Phoenix, if they can drop us a voice note to tell us like how is that working out? If that was all hot air, or, you know, I mean, maybe that is one way. Maybe we need to to, to study what's going on there, and, and certainly look at what Ross Barack is doing. Well, Lee, you've been doing a little bit of digging on how families of police officers talk about policing and race in New York. Um, what kind of responses have you gotten? I've only gotten one response. Oh, and really? Had several people retweet this. Wow. I mean, and I only heard from one woman who said she was a granddaughter of two police sergeants. You know, her relationship with them is not strained at all. Uh, she was a black woman. Um, but what we were trying to get at, you know, was any any signs of conflict. If you are an activist for, you know, an activist marching with Black Lives Matter and you might come home and your dad is a cop or your mom is a cop. How do you reconcile those things? Or, you know, can both be true? You can both, and which we're hearing that, you know, obviously can be where you can both be about, you know, saving black lives and respecting police in the work that they have to do, um, even if not holding them accountable at the same time. So, I mean, if anybody wants to call in or if anybody wants to, to respond to this, if you locate yourself within that kind of situation, then, you know, I'd be... I'd be interested to hear it. How about cops that march with Black Lives Matter? Like, you know, like how about people that join that go in uniform and, and stand up? I know. I mean, have you all seen these videos um, like that are viral of like police going to a Black Lives Matter protest and doing like the electric slide? No, or, like you know, I've seen no. I've seen breakdancing, but yeah, not break, at a Black Lives Matter, yeah, event, but like at a youth, like a PAL kind of thing. Right. Where where police are, you know, fraternizing with with young people of color, you know, and I don't know, is that community Policing, I don't know, maybe that is. Well, it's community engagement. Engagement, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We really need that. And, you know, I think that some ways, you know, like not to put the whole entire onus on the uh, gun carrying uh, uh, police department, but it's like you're talking about teachers, right? And about, is it all up to 
to them to completely teach our children education is not like a larger kind of like a thing that the village does, right? Teachers don't carry guns. So it's kind of a different kind of vibe. Yeah. Fair. For me, like since we are dealing with it now, I've had to like for now triage it. I would say the things that we need to do, like for example, they need to have a sensitivity training. Why we have to give human beings sensitivity training about other human beings, it's like, a, you know, beyond me, but I think we still need it. They need mm. to be sensitized, sure. right? Yeah. They need to be kind of deprogrammed. Um, I really do believe that there needs to be like, um, you know, ongoing workshops, classes, like why can't communities and police come together and, for example, watch the 13th hour together and like have a discussion? Why can't there be community boards where youth actually lead and they say things and they say things off the cuff and some of them are knee-jerk reactions, but we see them as the children that they are. And then they don't, they don't, they, why can't we have like people in, in different community boards actually be advocates for these kids and be their, be their liaison and have their backs so they don't feel like they're alone in the world. Yeah. I mean, isn't like, this community why? policing, is this community policing month or week or something like well, that? Well, yeah, we're, we're, we're recording this towards the end of what the Obama administration is has proclaimed community policing week and uh, the attorney general, Loretta Ritt Lynch, um, yeah, has been doing a fair bit of public outreach about it this week. Moving on to uh, recommendations. Um, it's time to make some recommendations. So, Raquel, what have you been reading or watching or listening to that our listeners need to check out? Okay, I'm going to thank you first before For I even what? go into this. For what? Because you turned me on to Atlanta oh, FX. Good. And I oh. watched every episode. Oh, you've already watched? Okay. I had to, they're painting my apartment. I had to put everything away. And I was okay. like, cleaning. I started watching it. Okay. God, at, I mean, you hey, don't understand. You I'm like obsessed and everybody knows, call me John Ridley. I'm obsessed with American crime. Uh-huh. I'm obsessed. Uh-huh. I'm obsessed. I'm almost equal, as equally obsessed oh. with Atlanta because okay. I like the way they, I like their, the way the dialogue, I like the whole non-binariness. Mm-hmm. I like the little nuances, like the guy, mm-hmm. Paperboy's best friend being um, from Nigeria. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's why they're into, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I like all the little nuances and all the yeah. things that are in, that fall in between the cracks because yeah. I start from that area. That makes it seem real human and complex. To me, yeah. to me I start yeah. from there. I start in the gray. That's where I look mm-hmm. at everything. I don't look at the mm-hmm. binaries. I start mm-hmm. in the middle. Mm-hmm. Thank you for putting me on. That wow. shit was dope. Awesome. I'm okay. so happy to hear that. So my, I only have one short recommendation. Okay. It's so predictable, but that's what I'm watching tonight or this weekend with the family, uh, the 13th. Uh, and, uh, and it's by uh, Ava DuVernay. Yeah. And I agree with you. I didn't love Selma. Okay. I have to say that. It's not just me. <laughs> it's not just you. I didn't love Selma. <laughs> right. But I'm really looking forward to seeing this because yeah. I want to see anything that, that creates links yeah. and that's accessible and that's told in a way that academics and folks that need to to to, to hear and see mm-hmm. it can understand mm-hmm. i'm gonna always back so i want to see you know i really want to see that and i would like to check out but i don't have epics that um series that, that's going to come out soon about looking at different injustices in america like mass incarceration the water in flint uh just all the disparities um gentrification in new york Norman Lear, I think, is is tackling that. So like that, I'm really interested in seeing, but I can't recommend it because I, I'm you probably not going to watch yeah. it. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. You don't get epic. Okay. I don't get epics. My, a couple of colleagues of mine at my day job at First Look Media went to the premiere of the New York Film Festival where it, it premiered there, and they, they spoke very highly of it. So I'm also going to watch that this weekend. I, so I will also recommend it on their recommendation. Okay. I have not seen it either. That really is my recommendation. You guys, I was like, that was going to be mine. <laughs> so, Gemini twin. Yeah, I concur. <laughs> I concur with Raquel Cepeda. <laughs> 
we're, we're we're thinking we're thinking very similarly. We share one brain, actually. We, <laughs> that's ex- so, sometimes I have more of it. Sometimes you have more of it. She Depends. usually has more of it. No, I don't know about and that. I'm sitting here on the outside looking into Aww. that brain. No, you're looking from above, God. <laughs> oh God! So he has no, no, God no, voice. No, no, no. You're the new. You're the new Morgan Freeman. Um, Morgan He's Freeman. coming yeah. for you, boy. Exactly. Coming vessel. for you, bro. What are your recommendations? Well, shameless plug for we have a hot new podcast called The United States of Anxiety, uh, which oh, is yeah, 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 uh, yeah. which sort of serializes this whole um, anxious election process and how people are getting behind. Yeah. Um, you know the candidates, uh, Donald Trump. We're we're talking to some Donald Trump supporters on Long Island. I heard some of this yesterday yeah. when after I came home, and oh man, it's yeah. already premiered. Yeah, there's this woman, Patty. She used to be she voted for Obama, and now she's a Trump. She's a she's a Trump person. It's now, that buyer's remorse. You might wonder how one can go from one extreme to the well. You got to listen to the podcast. It's 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 uh, it drops every Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, get it on iTunes. And uh, Kai Wright is hosting it. Who also did um, our podcast. There goes the neighborhood, which looked at gentrification. That was last season. So yeah, I'm getting hooked on that. And I think everybody. Else well, here's a too. question about that. Do you think? Do you think plug that? Plug. Do you think that that that, that one gets answers as to why people like Patty, have gone from Obama to Trump. Because because what I heard yesterday, this is not a criticism of the show at all, it's great. But I don't think that that, that the 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 answers that, that these individuals are giving make a lot of sense all the time. They don't always feel rational. They don't always feel logical. I don't know at the, at the end of, of their stories that I always feel like I understand why they've made that political switch in their life completely. Like, I, I kind of do. But, but it, there's no like, oh, there's no like aha moment or light bulb moment where you're like, now I get why they support the horrible, racist, misogynist, vain piece of shit. Like, you know, like... The, the, Maybe just, they're figuring it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I think, Maybe I think a like, lot of that is true. I mean, I think a lot of it is, you know, it's it's not really... It's not really to give an answer, but to, like, give some insight, you know, um, to sort of lift the curtain on mm-hmm. how people are thinking. And I, I don't know that, you know, I think people are coming to terms with what they believe themselves. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other thing that I'll plug is not any project of WMYC's, but I am so looking forward to seeing a black man who cannot be affected by bullets. Luke Cage. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, my, 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 my I mean, homie. I haven't gotten into it yet, but yeah. I'm just, every time I, I was on the subway coming here, actually, and I saw the, you know, the, the advertisement. I yeah. saw this big brother and like bullet holes, and I'm like, that, that is light. Yeah. Shout out yeah. to Chael Coker, homie. Totally. He, totally. He's a, uh, he created the show. So I want to give you a special shout out, Love Taps. <laughs> you see, I don't have buttons here. That give me different sound effects. So oh. the only one Wouldn't I can work fun? with is just so. <laughs> Do, wait, what that means talking? like shout out, love, everything. This means everything. See, this is where I, this is where I can indulge my desire to hear Donald Trump's voice and then and go eh, on it. If we had buttons, we could just play his <laughs> like voice. Like this, and, lie, fight, yeah, lie. Yeah, exactly. We should get one. <laughs> AC, can we make that happen? Just like a button that just goes. Uh, uh. <laughs> Did you hear him? He said. We're going to finish up. That's all for today. Our producer is AC Valdez. Our research assistant and tech maven is Cody Carvel. Thanks also, as always, to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. You can see its entire roster of wonderful podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. You can find links to the things that we've discussed today on our website, showaboutrace.com. You can follow along with the conversation or join it yourself on Facebook or Twitter at showaboutrace. Or you can email us directly at showaboutrace at gmail.com. Again, we love your voice memos. 
Thank you so much for joining our national conversation about conversations about race. On behalf of Lee Hill and Raquel Cepeda, I'm Anna Holmes. And we'll be back next week and the week after that and the week after that. Why? Because racism will never be over. It's just beginning. Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) Shh.